0: This is a Triple J Podcast. <laughs> hey, it's Dave Marchese. Welcome to the Hack Podcast. Love him or hate him, the world is obsessed with a former American politician called George Santos. You've probably seen a lot of headlines around him. There's scandal everywhere, the new headline every day. He's accused of lying. He's accused of fraud. He's got a cameo career now. They want to make a movie about him. Who is he, though? And why do we care? We're going to be getting the rundown on George Santos in a bit. We're also heading out to sea later with some young Australian mine hunters. You'll find out about what it takes to be a mine hunter, what that means. It's a wild job and it's more relevant now than it ever has been before. And we're also going to be checking in with the weather. And we don't always do that on Hack, but there is this brutal heat wave that's hitting parts of Australia that you might want to know a bit more about. We'll get into that in a bit. First though. Hack.
1: We've already begun working through the worst offenders to make sure that we can do
0: everything we can to keep the community safe. On Triple J. Yeah, I think there's probably a lot of end of year energy in Canberra right now. Parliament's getting ready to wind down for the year, but there's still a lot to get through. The government's got some big priorities that it's focusing on, including the preventative detention laws that we've been hearing a lot about over the past few weeks. Let's find out a bit more. Hack political reporter Shalala Madora is with us now from Parliament House. G'day, Shalala. Thanks for coming on. Hey, Dave. The House of Reps sat today for a very special reason. Can you tell us what happened there?
2: Yeah, so you might remember that on Monday we got the really sad news that Victorian MP Peter Murphy had died. She'd had a long-running battle with breast cancer and she passed away just on Monday. So today um, the, the government had decided to hold a day of condolence motions. That's basically where MPs can stand up and, and pay tribute to this person that they worked with and, 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 you know, make sure that her legacy lives on in that way. But late last night, the government passed these preventative detention laws in the Senate and it decided to tack on debate to the House of Representatives about these preventative detention laws. That debate's going to start pretty soon. The condolence motions are still going at this stage, but they're going to start shortly with the debate. And it will pass because it did pass the Senate last night and the government has the numbers in the House. But before we get there, it's all been a bit of a shambolic chaos kind of day because the crossbenchers, that is these teal seats as they're so called, um, they they didn't really know that they were going to be debating this today. In fact, they only got told last minute that the preventative detention orders were being debated. So a lot of them haven't been able to even make it to Canberra in time for this debate. So it's all been a bit rushed and a bit chaotic. That does sound chaotic and also not
0: what you want in the last few days of Parliament. Can you tell us more about what these preventative detention laws are?
2: Yeah, so in a nutshell, they're laws that mean that someone can be put behind bars if they pose a risk to the community but haven't yet committed a crime. Now, it's important to stress that these laws only apply to about 150 non-citizens, people who had been in indefinite detention, immigration detention, but were released into the community after that recent High Court ruling that ruled that indefinite detention wasn't allowed. So about four people in this cohort have already committed crimes and been rearrested. So there is a lot of community safety about this particular issue. There's a lot of concern in the community about what it means. So the, under these new laws, the immigration minister would have to make the case to a court that a person poses a significant risk of committing a violent crime or a sexual offence. And then it would be up to the court to decide if that case meets the bar. And every year, that those Pre- preventative detention or orders would be reviewed up to a max of about three years. Similar laws already exist, but they exist in relation to terrorism offences. So, if someone who's committed a terrorism offence is deemed to be a risk even after they've been released, they can still be behind bars. It's important to say that this is actually has raised a lot of concerns within civil rights groups, because they say that it creates a two-tiered justice system, that people who are non-citizens get treated one way and Australian citizens get treated another. They also say that it kind of perverts what the basis of Australian law is, that someone can only be charged and locked up after they've committed a crime. Now, the three ministers responsible for this particular law fronted up against media today, and they were asked by a journalist if they should apologise for putting the community at risk and it prompted this really fiery exchange.
1: I will not be apologising for upholding the law. I will not be apologising for pursuing the rule of law and I will not be apologising for acting... Do not interrupt. I will not be apologising for acting... I will not be apologising for acting in accordance with a High Court decision. Your question is an absurd one.
2: And as for the Coalition, well, there's no sign of them letting up with the pressure they've been putting on the government over this issue. Here's Shadow Attorney-General Michaela Cash in the Senate last night when they were debating these bills. The fu- government at the behest of the opposition, ironically, is finally doing what the Leader of the Opposition and Senator Paterson and the Coalition have been asking them to do, in fact, saying to them, pleading with them, you need to introduce a protective detention regime.
0: Yeah, wow, everyone's blown up in Parliament this week. It's not just being preventative detention, though, Shalala, that's being discussed in Parliament today. The government passed a law known as Green Wall Street. What the hell's that about?
2: Yeah, so it's a significant law, actually, that tries to get farmers and private landholders to engage in na- nature-boosting or nature preserving enterprises. So the whole point of the Nature Repair Bill is to create a private market to encourage private spending to protect and restore biodiversity. Businesses would receive sort of tradable certificates in return for an investment. So the Greens are the people that got this over the line and in exchange for their support, the Greens negotiated a stronger water trigger. That means that the Environment Minister would have more of a say, more input into mining projects that require the use of waterways. The <laughs> Through the negotiations, the Green also scrapped a really controversial part of this bill that would allow so-called biodiversity offsets. In other words, people using credits from, say, buying new land to be able to clear existing environments. They say that's a really big win.
0: Right. That's really interesting. There's obviously been so much going down this week, Shalila. Why is there this burst of energy all of a sudden?
2: Yeah, like you said, it's really big end of year vibes. Basically, it's because this is the last sitting week of Parliament before Parliament runs for the summer break so essentially anything that the government wants to get passed anything it has on its agenda it has to pass this week because it won't get a chance to do it again until the early next year so what happens now is the end of next uh, at the end of tomorrow um, parliamentarians will return home to their electorates and they won't be able to pass any new laws until we reconvene next year
0: that's interesting and just quickly the state and territory leaders uh, were in canberra today for national cabinet was there anything big that was going on there
2: yeah, there was a lot happening actually. It was a really productive meeting. One of the biggest things was that they agreed that the states would tip more money into the NDIS, which I know we're going to be talking a lot about on the show tomorrow. And in exchange the federal government would put together put put in more than a let me start that again. Put in more than 1.2 billion dollars into hospitals and healthcare. There was also a really significant announcement on the national firearms registry which will come into play in four years' time. So this is a, a new registry that would allow all the different states and territory law enforcement agencies to kind of coordinate with each other when it comes to the use of firearms.
0: There's so much going down. We appreciate you keeping us across it today. But all year, Shalila, you're always got the updates and we <laughs> appreciate it, even if we are crawling towards uh, that last day. Hack reporter Shalila Medora, thank you very much for coming Thanks, on. Kate hack my favorite ts song is definitely going to be trouble
1: i knew you were trouble when you
0: walked in that's me on triple Jack. have you been hearing a lot about george santos who is this guy he's making headlines for the most cringe reasons at the moment but He's not a failed reality star or one-time influencer. George Santos was actually a congressman in the US until very, very recently. Great to be with you.
1: Santos, what's your reaction to the expulsion?
3: After serving for just under 11 months, embattled Republican Congressman George Santos voted out of office.
1: Santos told reporters, quote, to hell with this place and left in a black SUV. The official exit of hot messes everywhere. Now you can find him on Cameo, billing himself as a former congressional icon. Get ready for George Santos, the movie. You have haters, let them hate. Just do you, girl. Screw the haters.
2: On
3: Triple J.
0: Yeah. So, what happened? <laughs> what led to George Santos's political downfall? What does it tell us about U.S. politics at the moment? Why has he now kickstarted a new career on Cameo? We got so many questions. Luckily, we got an expert here to ask and get the answers from. John Barron hosts the ABC's Planet America. He knows everything about their politics. And he's with us to explain. G'day, John. Thanks very much for coming on Hack. Great to be with you again. Who is George Santos? Because we're seeing a lot of headlines about him at the moment. But people are probably wondering, where did he come from? Look... Two very profound questions. Who is George Santos <laughs> and, and where did he come from? We still don't know.
4: This this guy, he burst onto the scene when he won a congressional election for a, a House seat from the New York district of Long Island last year, traditionally held by Democrats. He's a Republican. He was interesting because he's only 35 and he's openly gay, mm. an openly gay young Republican, and he managed to win a traditional Democratic progressive district. So he was very interesting. What became even more interesting was the suggestions from very early on that uh, George Santos may not be who he seems, uh, that he may have exaggerated his childhood, his family history, his education, his employment history. People kind of a little bit too late after the election started going through his CV and going, oh, did he really go to that university? No, they've never heard
0: of it. It does oh. seem a bit late, doesn't it?
4: Yeah, <laughs> and, and on top of that, uh, no, so, you know, padding your CV... Everyone expects it to a mm. certain extent, mm. but when you also start padding your fundraising for your campaign so that you get matched funds from the party, so if, if you you know cover a, th- a certain threshold, then the, in this case the Republican Party will say, "Hey, you've raised two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Well, here's another two hundred fifty thousand dollars." Right? He never raised two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So look, he was doing that. He was he was taking the credit card numbers of his of his donors. He was spending money on OnlyFans for. One can only imagine what. Yeah. (laughs) So this guy has pretty much done everything that you're not supposed to do if you are a Republican member of Congress. The family values... Conservative Party.
0: Yeah, and so recently he was booted from Congress.
4: He was given his marching orders in the last week, which is remarkable because he hasn't been convicted of any of these alleged crimes. We, we can prove that he is not who he said he was in terms of his education and his his work experience, but he's, he's facing 23 federal indictments for identity theft, credit card fraud, uh, bribery, corruption, all sorts of things, which he could be sent to jail for 20 years for. Wow but he hasn't been convicted of any of those things yet. And so some members of Congress are saying, well, we can't start kicking people out of Congress because only five people in the history of Congress, of the House of Representatives. Only five people historically have ever been kicked out before. And, well, uh, three of them were uh, Confederates who, who, who fought against the United States in the Civil War of the 1860s. And the two others were convicted crooks. So we knew that they were, they, they were bad dudes. In the case of George Santos, look, it didn't look good, I'm telling you. Mm. you know, there, there was a lot of smoke there. But some were arguing, not unreasonably, that, well, maybe we should wait until the court cases are resolved which might just mean, oh, well, look, he's he's up for re-election next year anyway. It's only a two-year term, so maybe he'll just go quietly. He'd already said that he wasn't going to stand for re-election, not that he'd get re-elected, so maybe we don't even need to bother with this. But no, in the end, they, they got the numbers. Uh, half the Republicans and all the Democrats pretty much, bar a few,
0: decided we're going to kick this guy to the curb. Interesting, and he's not, not being too quiet. I mean, and there's definitely a lot of headlines about it. I saw Jimmy Kimmel actually said, he's like that ex who still has the key to our apartment, which I thought was pretty funny. American media must be loving this story. Well, it, it, it's fascinating because he, he in, in a sense, he still has
4: the keys, even though he's been expelled from Congress. Mm. As a as a former member of Congress, he enjoys certain privileges. Uh, he loses his office. He loses his job. He's already got a new job, though. Uh, he's he's on Cameo. Uh, so you can get a cheerio from, from
0: George. I saw that. So this is the latest venture. Pay a few hundred bucks and he can give a personalised
4: message. Yeah, I mean, yeah, this guy clearly has no shame Started off at seventy five dollars last week when he was first booted. You'll be kicking yourself for not getting that Christmas message for a work
0: colleague last week when it was cheap. <laughs> and they want to make a movie about him as well. I saw. Yeah,
4: look, uh, um, um, I mean, he, he's he's a little bit like you know Fra- Frank Abagnale, the Catch Me If You Can guy, yeah. I and mean, he is he is uh, a shameless shonk, a fraudster. He's, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's, and yet he's, you know, like in, in modern America, the country that elected Trump at least once, uh, and may do so again. He is kind of he's twenty twenty three to the max. This guy uh, is. He's now famous and he will no doubt get a, a reality show or a cable show or, or a something to go
0: with the income he's already making from Cameo. That's so interesting. I mean, just a bit of a temperature check of US politics at the moment. What is the state of, of play? Is everyone gearing up for next year? Is it going to be this Trump versus Biden thing? Where, where are we at the moment?
4: We've got the fourth Republican candidate debate to be conducted tomorrow, our time. Once again, Donald Trump not taking part But in that, he is still the overwhelming front runner to be the Republican nominee. He's also leading in the majority of national head-to-head polls against Joe Biden. Joe Biden's poll numbers have really suffered, particularly in the last couple of months. Young voters have abandoned Joe Biden in a big way, a lot of them concerned that he's just too close to Israel in the war with Hamas. And that's really counting him down right now. We're still a long way out, but Joe Biden is not in great shape, standing for re-election next year. But... Donald Trump is going to be literally in court next April, May, June and is very likely to be convicted, found criminally guilty in, in at least the January 6th election-stealing case. That's likely to be concluded next year. There's about 90 other indictments that are floating around. But that one is potentially going to give some voters pause for thought next year when they think, of: do we really want to re-elect a guy who tried to steal the last election and is potentially facing jail time as he's possibly heading back to the White House. There are so many unknowns. and It is so unpredictable that, yeah, look, on the one hand, it looks like a Biden-Trump rematch, but, and you'd say that Trump looks strong, but we've just never been here before.
0: The circus continues, and I know that we're going to be speaking a lot more next year. We appreciate your take on all of this. Thank you so much. John Barron, appreciate your insight. Good to be with you. And look, if you do want to know more about George Santos, a lot of funny stuff doing the rounds right now. If you didn't know about him before, you definitely know about about him now. Time to move on. Hack.
1: The Australian government has decided to make a substantial investment in smart sea mines.
3: On Triple J.
0: We've been talking a lot about war this year. Pictures of devastation have been all over our feeds, on the news, airstrikes, bombs. Do you know much, though, about underwater warfare? Because this year, the Australian Defence Force decided to invest in a kind of weapon that it hasn't used in a while, sea mines. And they're not new, they've been used for decades. And it might actually surprise you that there are teams of people out there now trying to find old sea mines planted in waters off Australia's coast decades ago. They've got to track them down, they've got to blow them up so they're no longer a danger. Reporter Lillian Watkins has been out with these mine hunters to find out about their job and find out what sea mines actually are.
3: This is the sound of a diver, underwater somewhere in the Solomon Islands. And he's not there for fun. In his hands is a remnant of war, covered in seaweed and barnacles.
1: What we found so far is uh, some 2,500 items, ranging from bombs to mortars, to, to all bits and pieces, bullets.
3: Three, two, one. Back in 2016, the Australian Defence Force led a huge operation to remove explosive remnants from World War II from across the southwest Pacific. Over 10 tonnes of munitions, which included sea mines, were destroyed. The ship involved in a lot of that was the Australian Navy's HMAS Diamantina.
2: So HMS Diamantina is a, a human class mine hunter. What that means is we have about 50 personnel on board who are specialised in mine warfare and clearance diving operations.
3: Her commanding officer these days is Lieutenant Commander Georgina Ray Martin. And I got to hop on board recently when they docked in Mackay for some training off the coast of Queensland. Yeah, so for many civilians, it's kind of it must be pretty shocking to realise that there are actually sea mines out there. Um, how much are you actually coming across them?
2: Oh, look, um, it's less and less, um, but unfortunately there's a lot of remnants of war that still remain from World War Two. Predominantly it is located more up north and we try to get up to our neighbours up north as much as we can. But every so often something will uh, float up or wash up on a beach somewhere and we'll get tasked to go to that location and, and dispose of it. Okay, we'll head
3: up to the beach. I was pretty struck by how different life must be for these young naval officers. Yeah, so I've been on board for almost six months, and this is part of my maritime warfare training. And ultimately, the goal for me is a um, clearance starving officer. Sub Lieutenant Yasmin Cook was telling me that between shifts, working, training, and studying, you don't get much downtime. But when you do. What's your favourite thing to do? Oh, I love using the chin up bar, so that's just out on the starboard side, the starboard waist. Morning. So there is a chess
1: comp going at the moment. Um, who's in the lead? I am the best um, chess player on board.
3: But really, they're here to work and train in clearing mines.
1: So this is our diveX self stand. So you'll go down and it's designed so that um, it cannot be detected by mines, modern and past mines.
3: But what is a sea mine, and what role might they play in Australia's future defence strategy?
1: From movies, we sort of have this image of a mine as this big sort of black floating pineapple. <gasps> swim
5: away, swim away.
3: Yeah, is it just me or is anyone else forever freaked out by that scene in Nemo?
1: Mines over time have become much more sophisticated.
3: This is Dr Marcus Hellyer. He's the head of research at Strategic Analysis Australia, which looks into national security policy.
1: They are a good investment because of that ability to deter an adversary.
3: This year, Australia made its first investment in sea mines in a long while. Exactly how many is classified? But Dr Hellyer told me that this renewed interest in sea mine warfare is happening all across the world. The
1: PLA Navy was in size and sophistication much weaker than the US Navy. And so the Chinese invested in huge numbers of mines. What we're seeing, however, is now the PLA Navy is actually now the biggest navy in the world.
3: That's China's navy, by the way.
1: So what we're seeing is those sort of Western navies, which traditionally had a kind of size and technological advantage over other navies, are now going, oh, oh, we've sort of lost that advantage. We need to find an asymmetric advantage again. And that's why they're turning... Back towards mines,
3: but as sea mines get used more and more around the world, knowing how to find and destroy them becomes more important to safeguard our navy and clear mines in times of peace.
1: The concept that navies are moving to is the kind of remotely conducted autonomous form of mine clearance. Yeah, you know, and the, the issue around drones and autonomous systems is always an issue of trust. You know, can we trust them to do as good a job as humans? So we're probably not. Fully there yet.
3: So that means no break for HMAS Diamantina crew. We've got to keep those sea lanes of communication open
2: because 99% of our trade is done by the sea.
0: Hack on Triple J. Lillian Watkins did that story. It's so interesting to hear about sea mines, something we don't usually talk about. I didn't know much about them. People talking about them on the text line. Got questions? Going to switch it up now. Let's talk about some weather. Hack. A severe heat wave is predicted for most of inland New South Wales, far southwest Queensland, northern SA, and then right up to many northern parts of the country. On Triple J. Yeah, most of Australia probably knows about this intense heat wave that's expected to sit over us for the next few days, depending where you are in Australia. We're talking temperatures well into the 40s in some parts of the country. Like in parts of South Australia, it could be up to 47 degrees. And it's Western and Central New South Wales, also hot weather in Queensland, the top end, WA. It's been a while since a lot of these places have had such ferocious heat. So there are a lot of warnings out there for people to take care of themselves. Where is all this coming from? How long is it going to last? We've got someone with us now who can tell us. Kim Reid is a climate scientist from Monash University. She's with us now. G'day, Kim. Thanks for coming on Hack.
5: G'day. Thanks for having me.
0: I know it's summer, but can you explain why this dramatic heat wave is landing just now?
5: Yeah, so what we've got is a big high pressure system sitting over the middle of the country and high pressure suppresses clouds, which means we get just unrelenting sunshine hitting the land. Also, high pressure is associated with sinking air and as air sinks, it warms up, which is why heat waves typically occur underneath a high pressure system. So if you look at a weather map on the news tonight, you'll just see this big region of high pressure stuck over us and that's why we've got the heat wave
0: happening. So do we know how long it's going to last?
5: Uh, It looks like by the weekend, we should start to get some rain coming through and pushing this high pressure system out over the ocean. So I'd give it another three or so days I think the forecast was going for, although I saw it said 38 in Sydney on Saturday. So, yeah, yeah, hopefully by the end of the weekend. I guess it
0: depends where you are as well. (laughs) Is it strange for it to happen so early in summer, Kim?
5: Um, Heat waves can happen any time of the year, really. We, We can get heat waves in the middle of winter. We just don't notice them as much. But for it to happen this early, I don't think it's that weird, although we should be aware that, as we keep emitting greenhouse gases and as the planet warms, earlier heat waves, longer and more frequent are what we need to expect.
0: And this was like the conversation they were having in Europe earlier this year with those really intense heat waves that were over the northern hemisphere. Is that what we're expecting, like to mimic that kind of intensity here in Australia this year?
5: Yeah, it's really hard to compare directly what's going on there with what we expect to see here. I mean, it's very clear that 2023 has been a lot warmer than previous years, and a lot of this has to do with the swap from the La Niña to the El Niño. So uh, we've been in La Niña conditions for the last three years, three years, which people might not be used to these sort of 40 high 40s temperatures because we don't typically see that as much during a La Niña. So I think people might be a bit less prepared because we haven't had such hot conditions in the last few years. But just because this year is so much hotter than the last few years, it's very possible that we will see record-breaking temperatures as we move further into summer.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, we're no stranger to hot conditions here in Australia. Like everyone's experienced a really hot summer, a heat wave. But I guess the concern here from experts is that we may not be as prepared for this kind of extreme weather after a few very different summers that we've had um, over the last couple of years.
5: Absolutely. Australians are great at dealing with heat relative to other parts of the world. But as you said, we just haven't had quite the severity over the last few years. So we may be a little bit less acclimatised. Sorry, the other concern is with cost of living, people might be a little bit more hesitant to put on the air conditioner. And all I can say is, you know, go to a library, go to a movie, make sure you're keeping cool and just remember all the stuff that we're taught from a young age, drink lots of water, check on elderly and vulnerable neighbors and just, yeah, make sure you're staying cool.
0: I also saw there's this tropical cyclone that could hit Queensland in the coming days. Another big weather event. Why is there so many extreme weather events accumulating at once?
5: Yeah, it's actually not that weird to have a heat wave and a tropical cyclone occurring at the same time. And this is because the atmosphere is always trying to balance high pressure and low pressure. So if you've got this big blob of high pressure over the middle of the country, then in order to balance that, there's going to be a region of strong low pressure somewhere else nearby. And a region of strong low pressure is what we call a tropical cyclone. So it's actually quite common, for example, during the Black Saturday, big heat wave and bushfires in Victoria, there was another tropical cyclone off the northeast coast. So, this pattern is quite normal. Um, but what, these are what we call compound events. So, when you have two extremes happening at once, and that is something that scientists are concerned about going into the future with climate change, where if you have too many extreme events at once, it really wears down people's resilience. Um, and is that what? Yeah, sorry. sorry no, go, go, go. Yeah, what we're seeing at the moment is actually not that weird. So what other
0: things could we expect in this El Nino period, do you think? Like, is there other stuff that experts like yourself are bracing for or predicting in over the next few months? I
5: think hotter temperatures is the biggest one. Well, on the plus side, it, one of the few positives of El Nino is you tend to get fewer frost days because you um, actually get cooler overnight temperatures. Normally I would say drier conditions as well, but... As we've seen recently, ocean temperatures around Australia are actually quite warm, which is throwing a bit of a spanner in the works to our traditional understanding of El Nino. So hotter, definitely drier, I think, wait and see.
0: Yeah, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on it. We'll be uh, across the weather forecast. People at this time of year are addicted to them. We appreciate your time for explaining all of that. Climate scientists, uh, Kim Reid from Monash University, thank you very much for coming on Hack. Thanks for having me. Hack on Triple Jack, And that's all we've got time for on the Hack podcast for now. Joe Lauder is going to be with you tomorrow. I'll be back on Friday, but I'll catch you then. See ya.